0: Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is The Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, today we're talking about the 1988 cop action horror comedy Dead Heat starring Joe Piscopo and Treat Williams about a cop and his undead partner. Not to be confused with the 2002 film Dead Heat starring Kiefer Sutherland about a cop forced by a heart problem to retire and buy a racehorse, not knowing that the jockey has a gambling problem and is in debt to the mob. Or the <laughs> 1966 crime film Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round, in which James Coburn plays a con man who victimizes single women to fund a bank heist.
1: <laughs> totally not related to those Dead Heats at all.
0: Yeah, totally not related to those. Movie was made on a budget of $5 million and grossed just over $3.5 million. I don't know about you, but if I lost a million and a half million 5 on a movie, I would think very seriously about ever making another kind of movie, another movie like that ever again.
1: Yeah. It's, well, no, actually, they wanted to make a sequel to this, but the,
0: <laughs> like, nah. Uh-uh. Movie was directed by Mark Goldblatt. He's better known as an editor.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, uh He edited so many movies of my childhood, like every action, like 80s action movie. Uh Yeah. The, the Punisher. He did The Howling. Uh, Halloween 2, uh, Terminator and Terminator 2. Uh, also thought- did
0: Jumpin' Jack Flash, Super Mario Brothers, Starship Troopers and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He only directed one other movie, and that was that horrible Punisher movie that uh, with Dolph Lundgren that you mentioned. Now, yeah. first of all, I love the Punisher comic books. i watched this movie thinking it was about comic books. It was kind of inspired by the comic book and really didn't have a whole lot to do with it. I mean. What, the Punisher? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh it, they kind of had like some things that were like, oh, this is just like the old Chuck Dixon Punisher years or whatever. And then all of a sudden, he's like naked, covered in grease, sitting in the sewer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it like, was, what's going on? Yeah,
0: it was not good. He also directed one episode of the short-lived NBC series, Eerie Indiana. That was a great show. It was. Only lasted one season, but it was a creepy show.
1: Yeah.
0: Written by Terry Black, who is known for his work on Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Crypt Keeper, and Silk Stockings. also wrote the Nintendo video games Red Steel and Red Steel 2.
1: Yeah. Also, uh, he the brother of shane black who's one of the best screen well in my opinion one of the best screenwriters ever yeah way better than his brother he did what was it the uh, the the predator he, he was actually in the predator they hired him on so he can like rewrite stuff on the scenes and uh he did another buddy cop movie uh um, the nice guys just came out not too long ago great movie awesome yeah shane black's awesome
0: makeup and special effects including animatronic chickens by xfx inc a special effects studio that was formed by terry johnson that would go on after this movie to win all kinds of awards
1: yeah Uh, and this is like a if you're gonna have like a a reel or something in your work this is like probably one of the best reels ever just this movie especially fx like here yeah just pop this in
0: Movie stars treat Williams as Roger Mortis, known for films Prince of the City, Once Upon a Time in America, and Late Shift. Also had recurring roles on Chicago Fire, Blue Bloods, and the rebooted Hawaii Five-0.
1: He he was in this one movie I really like called uh, Things to Do in Denver While You're Dead. Yeah. And uh, he was also in all those substitute movies like uh, from, like, Part two on where he was like the main guy.
0: Yeah, I was looking at at his IMDb list, and I've heard his name a number yeah. of times, but it's a list of movies that I've never heard of.
1: It was also in nineteen forty one. Okay, because he's got that kind of like you know airplane pilot kind of look about him and stuff, and uh, I don't, him and like the uh, one of the guys from Cheers were both in Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> the Echo Base.
0: Now, if you're uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking the name Roger Mortis sounds an awful lot like rigor mortis, and that's too on the nose, that can't be what this is about. Just wait. That's that's what this is about.
1: Yeah, it's his name, Roger Mortis. Uh, <laughs> also, that's a weird name. His real name, Treat, or is my saying it right, Treat?
0: Yeah, Treat Williams.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a weird name. Yeah, he
0: definitely got picked on in school with a name like that.
1: No shit. (laughs) Then we have Joe
0: Piscopo as Doug Bigelow, known for his time on Saturday Night Live, 1980 to 85. Also played Danny Verman in Johnny Dangerously. You shouldn't grab me, Johnny. My mother grabbed me once. Once. Love that movie. And Wise Guys with Danny DeVito.
1: Yeah. Uh, Also, he uh, did a bunch of cartoon work
0: so uh, much cartoon work.
1: Cowboys and Moo Mesa. Batman. Uh, yes, Treat was on Batman. He did like a doctor's. Like, yeah, very distinct voice too. He always has. He always doing that. Like a, uh, he talks like a gangster. You know, it's right, like a cartoon gangster. It's yeah, it's Joe Piscopo. Uh, right, he, he do something on Saturday Night Live was like Frank Sinatra. He did the Frank Sinatra bit was really famous. He did that like that was like his only in uh Right. Personation was yeah, the other Prince snatcher
0: yeah he was great on saturday night live and then uh we have vincent price as arthur p Loudermilk. milk oh, if man. you don't know who vincent price is man. just give up
1: yeah <laughs> it's he's the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo uh edward scissorhands not to mention like all the classic like dr Phoebe shit and- right
0: He's probably the best-known horror movie character actor there ever was. Not a leading man, just a character actor. He's the Fred Willard of horror movies.
1: He was in a thriller.
0: He was in everything from 1938 until he died in
1: 1993.
0: Yeah, he was in a lot of shit. A whole bunch of stuff. I kept thinking he was in Fright Night, but that's not him. That was Roddy McDowell?
1: Oh, yeah. Riding me down. Laser blast. Our first episode. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So the movie opens with a flyover shot of Los Angeles and two guys masking up to rob a shop. And uh, one thing I noticed about this, um, you know, when they film so, uh, people driving down the street, they're almost never driving. Right. Usually they've got the car on a trailer, which is being pulled down the street and so that they can film. Or they
1: got like a screen or something behind them, and it's, they're just sitting in a like a military vehicle.
0: And these guys could not be more obviously not driving.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, one of them's turned sideways in the seat. At, at at one point, the driver's turned sideways in the seat, um, both hands off the wheel as he's putting on his mask and and loading his gun as he's driving through downtown Los Angeles down through Beverly Hills yeah I thought that was funny. And another thing that struck me about these guys, I remember thinking the first time I watched this, why did they have to make bad guys always look like they haven't taken a bath in three months? Where they gonna are, find out? yeah,
1: they're greasy, greasy,
0: yeah. These guys were filthy, but they put on their their masks, and uh, they've got their submachine guns, and we cut back and forth between these guys in their going to war montage. And a wealthy lady looking at diamond jewelry that she in a in a jewelry store.
1: Yeah, it's like a total '80s classic jewelry store. It's like I don't know. It looks like an art gallery inside. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, ooh, and then, yeah, and then it cuts back to these guys, greasy as hell, you know, and a sedan, in an station wagon. Yeah, and they got like an uh, executioner mask on, kind of like FNM like gear, and like these like a. Uh,
0: yeah, it's yeah. a it's a leather mask that covers you know the top of their head, hangs down over the back of the neck, but it only covers up their their eyes. You know, uh, the nose and mouth is all exposed, and it's all black leather. It looks, it doesn't, it's not a bad looking mask, honestly. Yeah, if you're looking for a mask because that's your thing, this is not a bad mask.
1: <laughs> I liked it. Well, the
0: two thieves pull up in front of the store and burst into the store with their machine guns. Uh, They're going to rob the place. Everybody down on the floor, stereotypical stick-up. They're going to try to break open a jewelry case, but they can't break the glass, so one of them just starts shooting. (laughs) And then we cut to Doug Bigelow drumming on the dash of Roger's classic convertible. And Roger is not happy. So I'm drumming on the dash, and I couldn't help but remember from my childhood Riding around in cars when the dashboard on the car was still made out of steel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if you hit that one, the tooth fairy's coming to visit you. And you were going to hit the dash too, because we weren't wearing seatbelts.
1: And no no such thing as airbags at all. <laughs> also, he's got like not, go
0: something. ahead.
1: He's got like toys glued to his dashboard. Yeah. It's weird. It's got like a little beach scene or something acted out right there above the. You got a little beach.
0: hula doll on the dash. Yeah. Well, Roger's not happy because Doug didn't tell him they were going undercover today. He thought it was plain clothes, so he's wearing a suit and tie, and that makes him look like an FBI agent.
1: He looks like a square, yeah. He's totally like a yeah square.
0: Yep, yep. He's um he's he's Fonzie's brother, the teacher.
1: And yeah, Bigelow's like in a leather jacket, like tight jeans and shit. He looks like you know, uh, it's basically it's a weapon. You know, you got the square right. in suit. You got the renegade cop and jeans and that.
0: Yep. Well, they uh they get a call from dispatch to respond to the jewelry store robbery because one of the clerks managed to hit the silent alarm. They arrive at the store just as the SWAT officers are setting up out front with their M16s. You know, they called the dispatch called them to respond to this, but by the time they get there, there's like fifteen cop cars and. Thirty officers with machine guns and shotguns aimed at the front of this store.
1: Oh yeah, they're 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 loaded for bull, and they got uh what's his name there too uh the guy from uh, Voyager that played the doctor. He's he's like the guy. He's out yeah. there. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. <laughs> <laughs> he also had second- <laughs> gremlin in Gremlins too. I'll never never let him live that down. But yeah, yeah. he's out mustache and he's like in charge but he yeah he's he, an
0: uptight sergeant on this on this crime scene
1: he's like he's kind of a chicken shit I mean you, you they have all these guys there they're all they have pretty much the building surrounded they gotta wait for these two guys to arrive on the scene so they can start like damaging property right well their
0: plan is to wait for the thieves to come out of the store and apprehend them then rather than go in after the shootout but they're well prepared for a shootout oh um, hell yeah We see a cop heading up to the door as the thieves come out. He tells them to freeze and then immediately opens fire on them. You know, like L.A. police do. Oh, yeah.
1: Standard procedure, right?
0: Yeah. And so the shootout begins. Uh, You know, he shoots these guys with a, a shotgun. He either misses or he hits them and they don't go down. But whatever happened, the thieves just shoot the cop in the head.
1: Yeah, they like they start pouring bullets in these two guys and it's
0: Yeah, we see cops getting shot and going down, but these two thieves, they're definitely getting shot up, but they're not falling. They're still still firing and
1: they've got lots of bullets. And like all I get like, like a little bit of blood on their shirt for the, the inconvenience, you know. Right.
0: Well, Roger's wondering why they won't go down when they've hit been hit about fifty times. And Doug suggests that maybe they were all flesh
1: wounds
0: (laughs) and Roger just gives him this look that says quit being an idiot. Roger wants to borrow the sergeant's car. He, He, we see him sneaking down the street to get to the sergeant's car, which is just big old hoopty. And we see him driving down the street past the store where these crooks are. And now Roger's got a shotgun. Don't know where he got the shotgun. But he's got it pointed out the window and he's firing it at single one handed uh yeah. at these crooks as he goes by. He hits the other end of the street and does a U turn. Didn't Brave seem one. to do much with that with that shotgun though.
1: Yeah, no. Nah. Uh, it it kind of seemed like it was a scene in Braveheart or whatever, like they, they're doing the horse thing. It's like just it's, it's something for the guy to do in the heat of action to to prove to the other cops or the other soldiers or whatever. It's like, oh, that guy's a badass, he's fearless yeah but yeah it came off kind of stupid i mean he just like goes down the end of the block takes one shot does the three-point turn comes back i think uh yeah and then uh
0: well after roger drives past him uh doug and a couple of other cops including the sergeant they decide to rush these two crooks one of the crooks his uh his gun has run out of ammo so he drops that and he pulls a grenade Doug shoots the grenade out of his hand, but the guy has already pulled the pin, and the grenade blows up, blowing up the crook. The other crook managed to hide out behind a car, but that's okay. Roger uses the sergeant's car to ram him and pin him between another car and kill him.
1: Yeah, totally pancaked his ass.
0: Yeah. Well, the Sarge is pissed because not only... Did you recklessly endanger a bunch of stuff? You screwed up my car, and you can bet the captain's gonna hear about
1: this.
0: (laughs) And we cut to the stereotypical captain balling him out in
1: his office. Yeah, he's not as I expected. I'm gonna tell you that. I mean, he's an old black guy with bald head, but he's not fat, so you know, right? Captain thing, but yeah, I figured I all man's gonna be a big fat guy, he's gonna chew these guys out for an hour.
0: Yeah, he's chewing them out because they've screwed up over and over again, violating policy after policy. On top of that, they got 18 parking tickets already this month, and they're on probation twice already.
1: Oh man, kind of like the Animal done.
0: House double secret probation.
1: Oh, yeah, most definitely.
0: Triple secret. But in spite of all this, he's willing to cut them some slack, provided they can break up this crime ring that's been going on. There have been nine robberies in the last two weeks by the Cash and Dash gang. And Doug and Roger have gone back to Roger's office to discuss the similarities in the robberies. Well, Rogers discussing the similarities in the robberies. Doug is throwing darts at a map of downtown Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. And they uh they flip on the TV and it's instantly the shootout that they were just at. Right. And like the lady on the news, you know, you know talking a bunch of shit about, you know, all these, you know, crazy cops and stuff. I think it's uh, Martha Quinn as the the newscaster too. It
0: is MTV VJ Martha Quinn. I had a huge crush on her when I was a kid. <laughs> on the one Uh, apparently mojo nixon
1: did too oh yeah well he's got good taste yeah
0: he had a song about martha quinn (laughs) yeah well the phone rings and it is rebecca smithers and she has something for them to see in the morgue now roger and doug head down to the morgue to find out what's going on while they're waiting for rebecca to show up doug is musing about what it would be like to know when you would die so that you could have a death day party. <laughs> well, Rebecca Smithers comes in and we find out right away that she's Roger's ex. Dun, dun, dun. And apparently they have a whole lot of unresolved relationship crap that's going to spill over into this too. Of course. Well, they start discussing these thieves, and it turns out that. This isn't the first time they've been killed, and it's not the first time they've been in this morgue.
1: Yeah, um, like uh, she's she's the like the county morgue, you know, it's like you know L.A. and stuff. So like, right? She's our yeah. She she notices the stitching. That's my stitching. No, I, that do that's my little signature I put on it and stuff.
0: Right? They've been they've been cut open for autopsy and then stitched back together, and all of that happened. before they robbed the jewelry store today so what the hell's going on here well dr McNabb comes in dr McNabb played by darren, darren mcgavin yeah he's trying to suggest that uh, rebecca made a mistake that she can't possibly be correct about this because i mean you know if you've done an autopsy on somebody they're not going to leave and go rob a store that's just that's just facts
1: I like uh, I like how, no, like, excuse, like, she says something like, you know, something like that, and it was like, oh, maybe they were having a bad day or something, or sick, and I got up and left. It's like, I cut these guys open and had, their, like, their guts out on the table, you know? Yeah. It, no one's, you know, I don't care what fever you have, what sniffles you have, you know, you're not waking up from that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: If, uh, if your heart has been on a plate <laughs> on the other side of the room, you're you're not going to recover from that. Yeah,
1: I like chicken soup myself, but yeah, it's not going to help you in that situation.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> well, now we cut to another room entirely. Rebecca's left. Roger brings her coffee and they start discussing these previously dead thieves. They both have a drug in their system that can be traced back to a company called Dante Pharmaceuticals. Now, we cut to Dante Pharmaceuticals. Roger and Doug have shown up to ask some questions. They're trying to get the attention of the receptionist or the guy sitting there at the front desk. Uh, He's pretty wrapped up in the centerfold that he's staring at. And I mean, not even trying to hide it. Uh, They finally get his attention and show him the badge and say, I want to talk to somebody in charge. He calls for Randy James to come to the front desk to talk to these guys. It seems that she is in charge of public relations at Dante Pharmaceuticals. She gives him a tour of the place. And of course, it's a very sanitized tour. She explains that Dante Pharmaceuticals makes over-the-counter products and cosmetics mostly. Doug is, is very interested in what's going on here. Roger, Roger just has questions about the crime, but Doug is really curious about what goes on in a place like this. They find the asphyxiation room where they dispose of test animals and a locked room that they're told has toxic waste products. It's clearly labeled toxic waste. Exactly. I don't think Doug's buying it because all of a sudden he's got to pee. Where's the restroom? And she points him down the hall. This is, of course, how he's going to go snooping.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Randy and, and Roger walk off and Doug comes back and he uses his visitor badge to short the lock on the toxic waste room. And, well, he's right. It didn't have toxic waste in it. It's got something else in it. It's got some big table in the middle. Looks like a big sci-fi chamber of some sort. No idea what's going on. But there's something covered up on the table in the middle of the room. And when he uncovers it, it turns out there's a giant monster of a man under there who immediately wants to kill him.
1: Oh, my God. This thing scared me when I was a kid. I don't it, know is what it is such an awesome prosthetic that they made for this guy. It's, it's just a mask. It's not really like, uh, like really, it, it just, it's just this static mask. But like yeah. He didn't line, so it's just, plus it's like just this huge biker with two faces. So, I mean, yeah. this guy was like inbred biker guy before he died and then they zombified him. And right. And then you like a foot soldier.
0: Yeah. He's, he's a big, big guy. And then imagine, imagine you saw somebody turning their face with a strobe light flashing on him. And that kind of motion blur thing. And that became his face. And so he's got five eyes and three noses and and like a mouth and a half. It's bizarre.
1: And and a beard, man. He's just burly and just, oh, man, he just he looks like he stinks, too. Like he's another stinky dead guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's
0: definitely uh, he's definitely trying to kill Doug. Roger and Randy are are still continuing their conversation and I don't know maybe he's she's trying to flirt with him and he's all business and or something but it's not going and, you know he he's not getting any information out of it.
1: Yeah I mean she's really good at her job and he's like just I don't know really bad at flirting I don't know what's yeah. what but uh
0: well, Roger's busy apologizing for Doug's crassness, and when they hear gunshots fired, it looks like his fight with the with the biker monster has spilled out into a hallway. Roger and Randy go to see what's going on along with some guards. Roger gets knocked into the asphyxiation room. Don't know how that door got opened, but it's open, and Roger goes flying in, and the door closes behind him. We see. A shadowy figure in another room with a window looking onto this asphyxiation chamber. And he hits the buttons to turn the fans on
1: that suck all the air out of this room. It kind of reminds me of like the opening of Quantum Leap, but you know, the guy's going to die. Right. Like yeah. they totally stood up. Or like uh, Dr. Manhattan and the uh, the quantum thing that he did in the, uh, the Watchmen. watchman. Right. Well, outside in the hallway, Doug
0: manages to beat down the monster, and he tries to rescue Roger. There's a countdown showing just how much air is left. But When Roger gets over there to try to open the door, there's only 15% of the air left in this room. And Doug tries to get that door open, but he can't, and Roger is dead. Doug is sitting out in the in the lobby at Dante Pharmaceuticals. He's just watched his best friend die. Police are all over Dante Pharmaceuticals conducting their investigation. Rebecca shows up and hears that Roger is dead. Doug takes Rebecca to the room where he found the big biker monster and they start investigating there. It turns out that Dante Pharmaceuticals may be using this drug that uh, Rebecca told him about as a preservative. She's going to investigate the computer in this room because, well, all computers work the same and you can just start pushing buttons, right? He uses Unix, right? Yeah. Rebecca thinks that this is how they've been bringing people back from the dead. So they do the only obvious thing, the only sensible thing they can think of, they put Roger's corpse on the table, and Rebecca starts the sequence to reanimate him just to see if it'll work. Might as well.
1: He's dead. I'm pretty sure this is going against all kinds. Of, like, there's a reason why these guys are in the office. it
0: got to violate some kind of HIPAA regulations.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this, no one's signing off. You know, they don't get, like, a warrant or something. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, we just throw him up there and see if it works. Well, it does work. And Roger wakes up. Like he's just right been out of- knocked out, yeah, and un-fake. he feels great. Well, Doctor McNabb appears out of nowhere, and he does this a lot throughout this entire movie. He'll be nowhere around, and then all of a sudden, bam! Plot device.
1: Yeah, he he gets like some kind of like information, or he uh he tries to persuade the people to go away. And he does. He just literally like appear behind you with like a bag of chips. Like he was listening to the whole conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, while Rebecca examines Roger, she says that he doesn't have a pulse. Roger grabs her stethoscope and he starts checking too. He can't find his pulse. So maybe the stethoscope is defective. Well, McNabb says that can't be right. Let me check. And he checks. He can't find a pulse either, so obviously Roger is faking not having a pulse. Of course.
1: Elvis did it. I mean, this guy can do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is hold your breath, right? Yeah. She also notices that his hands are really cold, and he pulls his hand away from her. He just jerks his hand away from her for some reason and accidentally breaks uh, a jar on the table, and it slices his wrist open, but he doesn't bleed. Roger is starting to realize that may, maybe he's dead. Hey, he's faking it. <laughs> he's got be. Come on. <laughs> he's faking being dead. Okay.
1: He's an undercover cop. I'm great at that. I mean, that, I don't know. That's not right.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound right.
1: He becomes the first zombie cop in existence.
0: He does. Rebecca explains that he will gradually break down over the next 10 to 12 hours and start to decompose. Well, Roger is Determined, he's going to find the people responsible for his death. And they hit the road, him and uh, Doug. They hit the road to go question some folks. I think they're looking for, for Randy. Randy James. Randy James. They're looking for Randy James because she disappeared shortly after all of this. On their way to Randy's house, Roger realizes that the color is starting to drain from his face. So he wants Doug to stop at a drugstore so he can get some lipstick. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a cheesy scene, you know, where he's putting on the lipstick. How do women
1: do this? Yeah, it's it's got. Kind of like I'm a of
0: man. I can't
1: understand these mysterious things. Humor to it, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it was cool. Then it, it's not. Yeah, I mean, some of the jokes too. I mean, like because. Joe Piscopo is dropping one-liners. One, he doesn't give you a chance to breathe or anything. So it's like they're all cheesy one-liner jokes, and uh, right. some of the situational humor is kind of like, ah, oh, come on, it kind of fell flat, you know. then still doing it?
0: Right. At least I will say this: the movie is almost forty years old, and the jokes that worked forty years ago still work now, and the ones that don't work now. They probably didn't work then either.
1: They're probably like 80 years old. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, they arrive at Randy James' house, and she's trying to take off. Uh, She's trying to get out of town. They take her back inside the house to question her. Doug starts going through her suitcase. Of course, he has to uh, hold up her underwear because...
1: It's the 80s.
0: It's the 80s, yeah. Yeah. He also finds a videotape, they put that in the VCR to watch it. And, and there's Vincent Price as Arthur Loudermilk on the videotape. Yeah,
1: he looks terrible.
0: Well, as the video starts to play, some undead gunmen break in and try to kill the, kill everybody. And
1: these guys look bad. It's like Walking Dead zombie makeup. Yeah. Oh, man. Like the first guys that were doing the bank job, they just look like creep. Yeah, they uh, just looked
0: like they needed a bath.
1: These guys, yeah, full on de- decomposing bodies. One looks like I don't know, uh, like a crackhead parakeet. Yeah, and the other guy, big tall black guy that has no teeth. It kind of looks like an alligator. And, they're and they they moved- both have
0: the bubbling skin on their face and everything.
1: Yeah, it's it's really they they look really creepy. Like these zombies, I remember, you know, like first ones, you know, kind of like fade out, you know, you know, ooh, you know, Walking Dead guys. These kind of stick out in your mind,
0: right? Well, a shootout ensues. Randy and Doug manage to head out through the back door. Roger goes after them. They all manage to escape, but Roger gets shot up pretty bad. Uh, Yeah, Uh, he takes two to the chest as he's going out. Uh, (laughs) His uh, arms just flailing in the air as, as the bullets are hitting him as he's running out the door
1: yeah he gets two hit in his chest, and he turns around and takes like three hits as he's trying like after he returns fire and then like gets hit again in the back so there there goes his jacket, yeah and they go around the back of the house,
0: yeah, the undead gunmen follow him around the back There's a pool and a little hot tub out there. The undead guys they can't find Roger or Doug or Randy James, so they're sneaking around the pool trying to find things. One of them stops by a door of some kind
1: it's like a pull it's like a little pump room
0: yeah and i guess he heard something but he just punches through the door and finds doug behind the door the other one thinks he sees something at the bottom of the hot tub so he's gonna go investigate that it turns out it's roger he's been holding his breath down there the whole time and so we've got Doug fighting with one of the undead gunmen up on the deck and Roger fighting with another one in the jacuzzi. Roger manages to get out of the jacuzzi, grabs a boom box and throws it in with the zombie gunman and electrocutes him. Apparently, you can't shoot these guys, but electrocuting them is enough to take them out.
1: Yeah, it's like Frankenstein or something. Death best
0: Yeah. Doug takes the pole from the umbrella at one of the the little deck tables and he just runs the other guy through and shoves him off the ledge into the pool and they're able to get away.
1: It kind of like bleeds out at
0: that point. Well, back inside the house, the videotape is just finishing up. Randy says that Arthur Loudermilk is her dad and he died two weeks ago. She also explains that Dante Pharmaceuticals was her father's think tank. They investigated all kinds of science stuff that he wanted them to check out, and she delivered the sulfathiazole to a guy in Chinatown. Well, Doug suggests that Roger might not want to advertise his gunshot wounds, so Randy gives him some of her ex's clothes. (laughs) Roger's in the bathroom where he's washed up and and changed clothes and he's brushing his hair and he notices that his hair is starting to fall out as his decomposition progresses. And he opens up the medicine cabinet to put the, the brush back in there. There's a little lock of his hair stuck in the brush and he just leaves it there kind of as a memento, I guess.
1: I guess. I don't know. He's probably got a bunch of stuff going on in his mind.
0: He probably does because when he closes that medicine cabinet, he doesn't see his reflection in the mirror. He sees a mummified corpse in them in the mirror.
1: Yeah. They did the whole like uh what is it? Like the fake out. Yeah. I mean, ultra guys fake out. It's like, you know, ooh, and then they close the window, bam, zombie, you know. It's, it's classic. It always works. If you see a mirror in a horror movie, it's usually going to be that get that gag. If right. not, the hand's going to come out of the mirror and like grab if you. If there's
0: a mirror, somebody's going to get snatched from behind or somebody's going to see somebody dead. Yeah, it, it's a given. <laughs> That's just the way mirrors work. Well, the three of them head to Chinatown. Where they go to a meat shop, this is where the drugs were delivered from Dante Pharmaceuticals. They need to speak to a guy named Mr. Thule, but the guy out front with the big meat cleaver, he's not too interested in helping him out. Roger shows the guy his badge, and the guy uses his meat cleaver to just chop it in half. <laughs> That's when Mr. Thule comes out from the back. The big guy appears to be his bodyguard. Well, Mr. Thule, when they tell Mr. Thule that they want him to answer some questions, he presses a button on the wall, which turns on a lightning chandelier, very much like the lightning they saw in the resurrection chamber at Dante Pharmaceuticals. Only instead of resurrecting a dead person who's on the table, it resurrects all the dead animals
1: in the butcher shop. This is awesome. This is what this is what people come see. This movie. This. Yeah. This is this is the
0: this is where the money is right here. We have, first of all, a big guy with a meat cleaver. The little Asian guy, Mr. Thule, he runs off. Yeah. You still got the big guy with the meat against Roger, Doug, and Randy, who are also having to fight off dead chickens. Yep rampaging dead pig
1: that pig was mean as hell
0: that pig was mean that went the pig went straight for Doug Rogers having to fight off chickens Randy is having her hair pulled out by dead ducks and if that's not enough there's a whole bull in the freezer and it's alive and
1: mad yeah it it's, it's not the whole bull it's just the the meat the meat part right there's no head. It's it's just like a big side of beef. Yeah, it's
0: j it's been completely dressed uh, and waiting to be cut up into into ribs or chops or whatever, but it's alive now
1: and it's coming out to fight. I can't believe this. Like it came in like eighty eight, you know? And yes. like oh, I, I probably saw it a couple years later on cable or something. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know, like eight or nine, you know, and that just it blew me away. So
0: there was A fella from XFX Inc. named Rick Lazzarini, who was in charge of chicken animatronic. That was his job. Make the dead chickens work. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that's a heck of a job to have right there. Oh, yeah. Well, eventually Roger shoots the chandelier and cuts off the lightning and all of the dead animals fall dead again. In the back room of the butcher house, they find a zombie duck head and a list of people and the dates that they died. Back in the car, Randy's Randy is sewing Roger's hand back together because he held his hand up just as the big guy with the cleaver was swinging it. And he just split Roger's hand in two. Yeah,
1: and allowed uh Doug to shoot him. And Doug was like, "Guy yeah, went down in one shot." And then uh, Roger's like, "Well, they're not all zombies. They're hey, not yeah. all zombies, right?" There's four
0: people in the world, but apparently, just a few hours in, he's he's used to fighting zombies, and is surprised when somebody isn't a
1: zombie. Throws off your rhythm, don't it? I guess. <laughs>
0: They're headed to a library now. They want to check out the obituaries in the newspapers for the dates on this list. And Everybody on the list of death dates, turns out they were very wealthy leaders of industry. Roger freaks out while thinking about his own death, and he has to get out of there. Doug chases him down. Apparently, when you don't have to breathe, you can run pretty fast. Roger's finally coming to grips with the fact that he's going to be dead in like six hours. But Doug convinces him the best thing he can do with that six hours is find the people who were responsible for it. We cut back to the morgue. Rebecca has news for Roger. Uh, she's got him up on the table. She's examining him. Uh, he takes off his shirt, and man, he's starting to look bad now. Yeah, he's getting all blotchy and crap. Yeah. His skin's uh, starting to slide a bit, too. After the exam, she thinks he only has like three or four hours left, but she's found something in the Dante files, and she thinks she can extend his life another 12 hours. Out in the parking lot, Dr. McNabb just happens to show up. He's driving a very expensive sports car now with a personalized license plate that says body doc. And we see Roger and Randy, they have gone to a cemetery. It's nighttime now, and they've arrived at Arthur Loudermilk's crypt. It's got a chain and a lock on it. So Roger just shoots the chain off the door. She says, isn't that illegal? He says, yeah, they go in this crypt, and this place is just weird. Because there's a door inside where the vault is, where uh, apparently Arthur is interred. But out here, it's set up like somebody's living room with lamps and books and a telephone. The cord is cut off the telephone, but there's a telephone there. Yeah, it's like some
1: Egyptian type stuff. That's weird.
0: Yeah. Well, the lamp works. Roger turns the lamp on, and they've got some light now. Randy comes clean about her relationship with louder milk, she says that you know she's not his daughter. That she met him in the hospital when she was in there for drug rehab, and he took a liking to her. He she was the daughter that he never had, and so he kind of took her under his wing and gave her a job at Dante Pharmaceuticals, and, and wanted to take care of her. Well, while she's telling this story, Roger's looking around at everything and he finds a series of numbers written on the inside of the lampshade. Looks in almost blood. like it's written in blood.
1: In blood.
0: Yeah. Well, he writes down the sequence, no idea what it is. It could be, I don't know, Swiss bank account. It could be a
1: clue. Lock combination or something. Yeah.
0: Right. His high school gym locker combination. Coordinates to... we don't know yep well they head back to randy's house to meet up with doug he's supposed to be back there by now the place is dark and the tv is on the lights don't work for some reason though and there is an old black and white horror movie on the tv you happen to know what that movie was because i
1: didn't it's a doa okay it's uh it's pretty much what this movie's based on uh this guy gets poison and then he has to go and find his killer he's got hours to before he dies you know uh, yeah it kind of yeah it was what the inspired this movie and also inspired this movie i like called crank and crank 2 which is pretty much that movie but like took into 11
0: okay well while she's watching this randy is walking backwards for some reason and she bumps into something she turns <laughs> around and it's her fish tank and Doug has been tied up and hung from the ceiling, head down in the fish tank.
1: Doug is dead. Uh, yeah, it kind of looks like a Christmas tree. Kind of. But uh, sorry, Joe, we'll miss you, man. You're a good Piscopo. Doug is dead. What's weird, though, is they find a dead person who is his partner and has been with them throughout most of the movie. First thing this chick does is take a shower.
0: Yeah, that was weird. The very next scene, you know, we've got police showing up there to take Doug's body off to the morgue. And Randy, Randy's in the bathroom, wrapped in a towel. She had to have a shower. Weird bathroom,
1: by the way, is totally
0: 80s. It was very odd. Yeah. I mean, why she had to have a shower after that, I, I don't get it. But, I mean, I guess it's what makes this scene work. Yeah. And now she explains that the whole story about meeting Arthur Loudermilk in the hospital when she was in for drug rehab, that was a lie too. What Uh, the hell, lady? Yeah, exactly. It turns out she met Arthur Loudermilk when she died and he brought her back to life. They told her that she would live a normal life as long as she helped him out, but now she's riding too and she just falls apart right there in the bathroom in a pretty disturbing scene
1: yeah this is like uh that one part with the the chinese butcher shop that was the comedy right or you know this is totally spooky the way it happens is gross it kind of feels like something from a tales from the crypt episode yeah she gets a monologue and then immediately starts melting and her face just slides off and this is like for computers they had like you know make an effect where her face slides off you
0: remember that Edgar Allan Poe story that was made into a movie with Jack Nicholson he was staying at a house and he saw a woman and the guy told him don't go after her don't go after her but he does and it turns out she's been dead a long time
1: oh wait was it an old it was an old movie a very old one yeah Oh, yeah, I know that one. Uh, uh, The Terror. The Terror, that's it. Yeah, Roger Corman, great movie. Boris it. yeah, Jack Nicholson as a kid. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and it was like that, you know, with the wax model that just melts. Yeah. Also, like, her arm gets all gangrenous and stuff, and it just pops off. It just falls off. Yeah,
0: it's like her elbow just unravels and, and just plop. The, the the tendons let go and joints start falling apart and uh, she, she just falls apart and rots right there in the bathroom.
1: So he knows that's what's going to happen to him. The, his ex, Smithers, she injected him with the stuff to give him like a couple more hours, but he knows that he's eventually just going to melt. Exactly.
0: Well, Roger tries to call Rebecca, but he gets voicemail. So he tells her, he leaves her a message telling her that Randy and Doug are both dead. And he's sitting there staring at the telephone when he has a little lightning bolt moment and realizes that the code on the lampshade might have be a clue to that he can figure out. You know, if we just transpose numbers for letters, maybe there's something there. Well, Roger heads to the morgue. And when he gets there, he's looking worse than ever. He's starting to look like Mad- Mel Gibson in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome.
1: Yeah. Mel Gibson in anything. Mel Gibson at like, you know, nine o'clock in the morning.
0: Mel Gibson at Kroger.
1: Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. He's, he's, he's bad now. He's, he's starting to rot. Just, it's all blotchy. And he's, he's still, you know, he looks like him, but he looks kind of bloated and stuff too. Now, I will say this. I
0: understand how movies are made. I know that they don't shoot these scenes in order. This had to be a nightmare for the script manager uh, maintaining continuity with this makeup. Right. Because the makeup gets makes him look progressively worse throughout the film. And that had to be just horrible trying to keep track of all that.
1: Well, they messed it up uh that's why they change clothes you know because they got them and stuff you can't keep up with those uh when you shoot some like a suit and stuff so it's right. like well you gotta change clothes yeah and even when he changes clothes like uh there's that one part where he changes from the suit to that chick's ex's clothes you know right and he takes his shirt off and there's no holes in his body but there's holes in his shirt and his jacket right so okay. yeah they, they they dropped the ball in a little bit, but they, they mostly, I guess they would, whatever look he had, they probably shot that, all those scenes. And then, like, because he, he goes through, like, four or five looks throughout the movie. Right. And it's a quick movie, too. I mean, it was, like, 86 minutes, so it's, like, a little slip-up here and there ain't nobody gonna tell. It's it's like an action, right? Yeah, for the most part, they did a very
0: good job of, of maintaining the continuity of the makeup. Oh, yeah. Well. Roger heads to the morgue. He finds McNabb and and he pulls a gun on McNabb. He accuses McNabb of killing him and Doug. He thinks McNabb has been bringing people back to life as an experiment and using them to that McNabb was behind the jewelry store robbery at the beginning of the movie. And that's how he paid for his expensive car. His jewelry that his rings that he's wearing, where he probably kept from the jewelry store heist. McNabb then said, "You're, you're, you're losing it. Your mind is breaking down as you're dying. All of a sudden, McNabb is on board with Roger being dead and being brought back to life, which is kind of suspicious in itself. Roger also accuses McNabb of killing Arthur Loudermilk seems that the code in the lampshade actually spells body dock. The same thing that's on McNab's license plate. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Well, Roger's going to kill McNabb, but uh, Mr. Thule shows up with some muscle. They're going to restrain Roger and kill him. They lock Roger in an ambulance, but he's not alone in the ambulance. McNabb flips back the sheet on the gurney that's in there. Seems they killed Rebecca, too. Damn. But they've got a plan. This ambulance is lined with stainless steel, making it soundproof. And they're going to incinerate Roger and Rebecca's corpse. They lock the doors and leave because, well, that's what you do when you have a prisoner, right? You close the door and you walk away. Go back inside. Play some more Mario Brothers.
1: First, you got a monologue. I'm going to kill you, and this is how we're going to do it. Then you go like, "Ah, we got time. Lock the door. Return to your, you know, finish your drink. Play your Mario Brothers. And then, you know, we'll take care of it later, at a later date. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, Roger decides he's got other plans, and he manages to wiggle himself around so that he can get his foot up by the steering wheel. And he manages to kick the ambulance out of gear and they start rolling down the street. They run into another car. So there are two runaway cars headed down the street. Now, something turned on the lights and siren on the ambulance, too.
1: Yeah, I love that thing. Uh, whenever these are like uh, little stunts and stuff or it's like, uh, you know, car pile up and shit. And then like the, the like the ambulance ramps over the other one. Right. And, uh, well, it just like smashes into this camp or something and flips over and then they do an explosion and then they cut to like three or four other explosions or like, or different camera angles of the same explosion. Right. I just love it when they do that in movies.
0: Well, at the bottom of the hill, the ambulance crashes and rolls over on its side. And if you've ever seen a movie, you know that when a car rolls over on its side, it has to explode. And that's exactly what happened.
1: Four times. (laughs)
0: we cut to the police loading body bags out of the crispy husk of this ambulance and then we see one of the body bags unzipping itself it wasn't unzipping itself that was roger unzipping it from the inside oh man he's kind of burnt up now but only on one side of his face you can still tell it's him
1: And also, like, he's got, like, a piece of his ear hanging or something. He looks really gross. He kind of looks like the punk rock zombie from uh, Return of the Living Dead. It's a fantastic makeup. It really is. Uh, Oh, yeah. And, uh, like, he stands up, and, like, the paramedics are shocked, and then the cops are shocked. They start pointing a gun at him. It's like, oh, right. The patrolman
0: points a gun at him and tells him to stop right there, buddy. Roger pulls out his badge. And identifies himself as Detective Roger Mortis. Uh says, You're a cop? He says, yeah, I'm a cop. And I'm gonna need your gun.
1: And he gives his gun. He gives him the gun. No you yeah, if a zombie
0: there. came out of a out of a body bag and said, I'm a cop, I need your gun. You hand over the gun. That's just what you do. It worked
1: for the terminator. I mean, yeah.
0: Then he just walks over to the cop's motorcycle. He takes his motorcycle too. And he's just gone.
1: Yeah, that cop that or the guy that plays that cop, that's uh that's Shane Black. That was the guy I was talking about earlier. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he just gets on his bike and uh he says some Quippy One liner and off to the Well, back at the Dante Pharmaceuticals
0: Resurrection Room, McNabb is talking to a group of rich people, and he announces that Arthur Loudermilk is not dead. He's very much alive. Loudermilk then comes in and explains that none of them ever need to die. Death is for poor people. We're rich. We don't have to die. It's only going to cost you half your fortune to live forever, but you'll have forever to make that money back. Yeah. Outside, Roger has arrived. And he rides a motorcycle right through the front doors and goes to kill it. Probably rips off the Terminator, but like on a
1: motorcycle.
0: Yep. He is very casually walking through Dante Pharmaceuticals, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger walked through the police station.
1: Except and instead of uh, like a rifle, he's just got an SMG and he's plugging guys like every hallway, he, like just takes a corner, kills that right. guy.
0: At some point, one of the people that tries to stop Roger is dead because Roger shoots him and the guy doesn't go down. He kind of stumbles back a little bit, but he just keeps firing at Roger. Roger is probably weighs about thirty five pounds more now with all the bullets that have that have been shot into him. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> Well, Roger starts shooting at this guy and manages to back him up into the asphyxiation room where Roger died. And and he closes the door on this gunman that takes him out. No problem. Then he blows the doors open on the on the resurrection room and walks in and and busts up uh, Arthur Loudermilk's party in there. He tells everybody stay in your seats. Don't move. That's when somebody starts shooting at roger and roger takes those gunmen out along with a couple of the rich folks told you not to get up <laughs> they got up as some other gunmen start shooting at roger with the automatic weapon roger is just very casually walking over there to him this guy is undead too you can tell he's got the rotting face and everything so Roger just grabs him and throws him into some wires and electrocutes him. That's how you take out the dead guys, is electrocuting <laughs> him. Before all this happened, though, uh, Loudermilk was going to demonstrate the resurrection process for these rich folks. There's something under a black tarp on the resurrection table. This is what Roger interrupted. After Roger kills this undead gunman, McNabb goes over to the table and pulls the tarp off of what's over the, what's on the resurrection table. It's Doug. Doug has been brought back from the dead. The only problem is he's been brain dead for too long before his resurrection, so he's really just a mindless killing machine that'll do whatever McNab tells him to do. So, of course, McNab tells him to kill Roger. But Roger and Doug were friends and, and partners for a long, long time. So Roger's able to make enough corny jokes to get through to Doug. Once Doug comes back to himself and realizes what's going on, he turns on McNab. but McNabb blows his own brains out. That's okay, though. They've got a resurrection machine.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they're going to do that.
0: Yeah, because you're not gonna cheat Roger out of his revenge. This guy had him got him killed. So Roger puts McNabb on the resurrection machine and fires it up. They bring McNabb back to life, and then Roger asks, Doug, You ever w- wondered what happens if you use this thing to resurrect somebody twice? So they turn the machine on again. And McNabb explodes in a bloody mess.
1: Yeah, the major splat. It's like one of the coolest splats in history, in motion picture.
0: <laughs> they just blew up a water balloon full of ketchup, it looked like. It just exploded all over the place.
1: Yeah, it's it's really cool. It totally messes up the resurrection chamber. Right. Uh, the machine starts
0: to overload. Arthur Loudermilk is watching all of this, and he wants them to stop. It'll destroy the machine, and then I'll have to die. You've got to stop it. But that kind of falls on deaf ears. Roger and Doug, they open fire on the resurrection machine and blow it up. Boom. Then they wander off into a white mist philosophizing mm-hmm. about reincarnation. Roll credit.
1: Roll credit. So what do you think, man? I
0: think it was a lot of
1: fun. I really All do. Right. There were parts
0: of this movie where I was I was really confused, like at the beginning with the with the jewel thieves. why do they always have to make the bad guys dirty? <laughs> but I like the way they revealed that after the fact, you know, the fact that we we see this and make an assumption about what it is. It turns out I've been completely misdirected. It's something else entirely. I liked that. It
1: was fun. Yeah. It's this cool take on the buddy cop thing and, uh, and a cool take on zombies, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it really is. And then, you know, to have them just die at the end, the way they did as still buddies. That was, that was
1: great. Uh, the, when they were talking about a sequel to it, what's his name? Terry black. Like, well, everybody's died at the end of that. The first one, you know, they're going to melt, you know, So how could I make a sequel? And the producers are like, you have a resurrection. It's in the (laughs) movie. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, it's a great movie, but yeah, no. Yeah, I'd like to see a remake of this because I think like uh, some of the stuff, uh, the plot points are kind of like kind of relevant today. And I just, I love horror comedies. It's like my favorite genre movie. Man, we need to get rich so
0: we can open up a theater and just show movies like this that we don't have to make any money off of. Oh, love that! Like private, <laughs> mean, yeah. because you know, if we if we show these kind of movies in a theater, no zero dollars will be made, but it uh, would be you, so much fun.
1: If you show it, they'll come. You know.
0: Yeah this is this is great. I, I enjoyed this, and uh, special announcement for everybody who's out there listening Uh, there is some dumpster fire merch on the way we'll have more information about that on facebook and instagram in the coming weeks so stay tuned for that also hell yeah all right man i think that's a podcast
1: hell yeah i like it